Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Four Press Podcast presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusek, and I'm coming to you live from the Media Center at the Arnold Palmer Invitational at the Bay Hill Club and Lodge here in Orlando, Florida. And this week on the podcast, my guest is Eamon Lynch. Eamon is a senior contributor to Golf Week, GolfWeek.com, and USA Today Sports. And in the podcast you're about to hear, he and I discussed the comments made by Paul Easinger on Sunday that made it sound like, in his opinion, the European Tour is not as elite as the US PGA Tour. And we also talk about the reaction to those comments from players like Lee Westwood and Ian Poulter. Then we talked about Dustin Johnson taking himself out of consideration for the 2020 Olympics this summer and where the Olympics actually lands in the eyes of professional golfers. Then Eamon and I talk about the effects of the Canero virus on the sport. And finally, we discussed how some of the elite golfers in the game, like Rory McIlroy, Brooks Kepka, and Tiger Woods, are planning their run towards the season's first major, the 2020 Masters. Get stronger, hit longer, and end pain with Golf Forever. Created by Justin Leonard and co-author of the Younger Next Year Backbook, Dr. Jeremy James, Golf Forever is the take-anywhere online golf fitness program that helps you build a body prime for golf. It's simple, safe, and it works. At home, in the gym, on the golf course, Golf Forever's easy-to-follow exercises, warm-up routines, and course management videos will help you play your best pain-free. Sign up today at GolfForever.com and use promo code GOLFWEEK for a free 14-day trial. So I'm joined by Eamon Lynch here in the media tent at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. I suppose we're here at Bay Hill Club and Lodge. Eamon, you look thrilled once again to be in Orlando, Florida. Well, it's the first day or second day for me of a two-week trip, so uh, the, the will to live is ebbing away from me pretty quickly in Florida. Well, you've you, you're in Orlando quite a bit. I mean, mm-hmm. how often do you come to Orlando, Florida? It must, I'm not going to say a second home for you. New York, oh, I know, is home. But, I would uh, never admit to that. I probably come to Orlando at least six, eight times a year, sometimes mm-hmm. for Golf Channel stuff, sometimes just to play golf and search for the answer to the question that I've forgotten at this stage. <laughs> We're all forgetting more and more questions. We're not getting any younger at this point. What do you think about this tournament coming here once again? We're, we're here at Bay Hill. Um, we've got Rory McIlroy in the field this year. We've got Brooks Kepkes here. Phil Mickelson is in the field. Um, lots of players there are, are coming here. A couple notable absences. Obviously, Tiger Woods has, has skipped. What are your impressions or what are your thoughts as we look forward to the event? Well, it, the tournament has always gotten a really good field on the strength of, of Arnold Palmer's reputation. And now we're uh, three years, almost four years removed from Arnold's death. And it's going to get really interesting next year when this tournament moves again in the schedule. And so it's not immediately in the the run-up to the Players' Championship anymore. And suddenly the, the guys who want to actually have uh, kind of a little stronger prep or, or more nuanced prep for the Players' Championship might start looking at doing the Honda uh, in the week before the Players rather than, than Bay Hill. And that's going to be interesting because we've seen what happened Byron Nelson's tournament after right. Byron died. And yep. it's, it's almost a, 
you know, a corn ferry level field that's out there now. Yeah, it's a, it's a pity. And the other thing is that there are so many players who live in the state of Florida. And, and we're here in technically, I suppose, I don't know if we're technically in Windermere, Florida or not. But the Orlando area had a large number of players. Lake Nona is, is right here. A lot of players. There's a growing population of players, obviously, in the Jupiter area. And that makes that event for the Honda, which is in Palm Beach Gardens, very, very easy. It's a home game for a lot of players. There were a lot of guys who skipped it last week who lived in that neighborhood as well. But but to your point, you know, for next year, that's that proximity is going to make that event very, very easy for them to play. This event, is, is, as you said, say, as we get farther and farther away from when Arnold would be shaking the players' hands as they walked off the 18th, it's, it's going to mean... I'm not going to say a little bit less, but it will probably. Well, it's less. also one of those events along with the Memorial uh, where it's a three-year exemption for a winner here versus the two years at a regular tour event. Yep. So it's always going to have that elevated status mm-hmm. that, that is going to be appealing to players. Uh, so hopefully that will give it a longer runway than certainly than the Baron Nelson Classic got. What, I suppose as someone who grew up in Northern Ireland, what did Arnold Palmer sort of mean? I mean, I think that we... Here in the United States, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm 49. I grew up watching Jack Nicholas and Tom Watson, and those were the players. Lee Trevino, those are the players that I looked at. Palmer was really at his peak before I was sort of aware of golf, but his presence was certainly there throughout. We knew Arnold Palmer. He was on television endorsing products left, right, and center. To to people who may not be aware here in the U.S., what was his position sort of in the golfing world in Europe as you were growing up? I think he was very much regarded, obviously, as an icon, not so much as a commercial presence as he was over here. Arnie wasn't on TV when I was growing up, and we only had three or four channels. Um, Arnie wasn't on there selling Pennzoil or any other product that he could find the way he was in the United States. But, you know, he was the man who was widely credited as having elevated the stature of the Open Championship again. Yeah. He showed up to play in 1960 and then won it in 61 and 62. And even, I remember almost 20 years ago now at a senior Open Championship at Royal County Down, I brought a a friend of mine along who I'd grown up playing golf with, and he's not a golf geek Mm -hmm. by any measure, but he really wanted to go there for a a round of the Senior Open because on Thursday morning, the threesome of Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicklaus, and Tom Watson teed off together at Royal County Down. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Arnie was the guy he wanted to see. He'd seen more he was more familiar with the others from tv their careers extended sure. longer into yep. certainly into my generation but arnie was still the guy who had all of the charisma so we're here we've obviously we got that event coming up there has been news earlier in the week um paul easinger let out a few things and that sort of got golf twitter all in a dust up on sunday evening basically calling out or talking a little bit about the european tour in such a way that it made it sound certainly like he was condescending in some ways, that he was looking at the European tour as being sort of a lesser of, of the two tours. The quote basically being when he was looking at Tommy Fleetwood, who was playing with the pressure of trying to win his first PGA Tour event last week at the Honda and obviously didn't win that, saying, there's a lot of pressure here. You're trying to prove to everybody that you've got what it takes. These guys know you can all win you on that European tour or an international game and all that, but it's, it's, but you have to win on the PGA Tour. That did not go over well, to put it lightly, with many of the European tour players who have sort of been established. Ian Poulter came out, Lee Westwood, lots of them defending the European tour. What was your initial take on hearing what what Azinger said, and, and were you surprised by the reaction? No, I'm looking forward to seeing Azinger this week to point out the, the, the irony of Paul getting slaughtered on social media for the what I'm guessing might be the only opinion Azinger has that's actually true <laughs> or accurate. On, on most things and what Paul Eisinger said is 100% accurate it is a lesser tour 
and the best players want to beat the best players mm -hmm. and the best players are found on the PGA Tour that's not necessarily true every week uh, certainly the tournaments that Tommy Fleetwood has won you know two times in Abu Dhabi and once in the French Open that all of those were more heavily weighted in terms of world ranking point stature than the Honda Classic mm -hmm. was last week but it's not every week that the PGA Tour is a superior product, but it is most weeks, which is why most Europeans of an elite level are playing here. I'm sure Azinger probably feels he might have worded his comments, you know, artlessly. But you know, the guys who are criticizing him don't do live TV. It's it's also you, you can you can be a little bit crude and be a little bit standoffish. Uh, standoffish in the way, but he's being brutally honest about that. I agree. I, I think that if you take a look at the depth of the field, more often than not. The PGA Tour has a deeper field. The players who play predominantly on the PGA Tour, when you look at the 100th man on the PGA Tour, I don't know who that is off the top of my head this week, it's it's probably a better player. It's probably a more highly ranked player. I'm not necessarily know if they're a more skilled player, but that's just the way that it is. My take was that, yes, it was maybe a little bit in an insensitive way, but as a commentator on live TV, he's not being paid to be sensitive. He's being paid to have an opinion ideally a well-thought-out opinion, yeah. but to be opinionated, right? Yeah, and when you're on live TV and you're in this, this spot that he's in, sometimes different words come out in different ways and you would like to go back and rephrase a lot of things. But the essential truth of what he was saying, to me, seems fairly obvious, that it is a, a place where the best players want to win. That's why Tommy Fleetwood is there trying to win. It's, it's just, just a simple statement of fact. And whatever kind of local boosterism... Uh, is injected into it from from those who are upset about it. Mm -hmm. it so be it i mean the players were upset more so i believe because of the wording of azinger's comments more than being what they feel feel is being called out but they just feel that it was an insensitive way thing for him to say yeah and that it was just kind of a put down uh, of a tour that that's done very well to to build itself up over the years but it's it's still the, the reality is that the european tour for all of its many positives and pluses is still the lesser tour when you're talking about it in comparison to the PGA Tour. Is there anything wrong with that? And I don't mean to sound flippant when I sort of ask that, but but one of these tours is going to most likely get more money than another. One of them is going to have, in this case, the U.S. PGA Tour has three major championships are played in the United States. There's one, obviously, the Open Championship, which is which is played outside of the U.S. Yeah, but it all comes down to wanting to go up against and beat the best players. No one can seriously argue that it is not a major hole in the resume of Colin Montgomery with his it's almost 30 wins yes. on the European Tour, but never won once in the United States in a, in a stroke play event. And that's, you know, he, Colin Montgomery was a fantastic golfer, but that hole in his resume is there. And you could argue maybe if Monty had played over here more, perhaps he would have done better in major championships over here. You can make the same argument in a way for Lee Westwood, who's won a couple of times in the United States mm -hmm. and has, I think it's nine top five finishes in, a, in major championships. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those things where, to me, that's, that's the whole... Westwood's done everything, obviously, except win a major championship. Same thing when Luke Donald reached number one. He did that after he moved to the United States and was basically a U.S.-based player. Um, it's, to me, I agree. I agree everything with... It doesn't make necessarily for a great podcast, but I wholeheartedly agree in that it's... It was, a, it was a sentence that was thrown out there, an idea or a thought that was thrown out by Azinger that probably caught some people off guard. It doesn't mean, though, that it's not accurate, and I do think that it's accurate. You could say that he should have maybe been a little kinder, gentler, but, but again, in that position, in that booth, in the tower, that's what he's supposed to do, make people think and be provocative, be honest, give his opinion. He did that. Um, 
One person who usually does not give us very strong opinions is Dustin Johnson. He's not known for being, shall we say, loquacious with, uh, in the interview room. You had a chance to actually break a story that was on GolfWeek.com earlier this week about Dustin Johnson deciding to bypass the Olympics. For people who may not be aware, what, what was sort of in that story and, and why is DJ not going to be going to Japan? Well, he's voting with his feet because DJ is going to go play uh, in Europe. He's going to be in Europe for a couple of weeks, playing the Open Championship in July at Royal St. George's, where he almost won yeah. in 2011, until he carved that fairway wood out of bounds on the 14th hole. I think it was 14, yeah, yeah, where I didn't even know that there was OB or that anybody could find it over there. I don't but think Dustin did either. He when found he hit that it. shot. Okay. Uh, and then he's playing the 3M Open when he comes back. But the first round of the Olympics got men's golf tournament is 11 days after the end of the Open Championship Mm -hmm. and then when you come back from Tokyo it's 11 days until the start of the FedEx Cup playoff events the Northern Trust in Boston being the first one and his manager David Winkle said they'd given it a great deal of thought he'd like to have been an Olympian but he also wants to win the FedEx Cup playoffs he's come close in the past he wants to be in the mix and he didn't think it was going to give him the best opportunity to add another long international trip into the mix for that that so, was his version of why he chose to sit it out. So in some ways, the Olympics becomes the victim of a tour schedule right now that is so condensed with events that we are told are really important. Obviously, people grow up wanting to win the, the Masters U.S. Open, the British Open, and the PGA Championship. Then there's the players that's going to be taking place now uh, next week for us. You've also got WGC events. You've got the FedEx Cup playoff events. This is a Ryder Cup year. Something has to give. Um, I think that a lot of people who look at sport will be like, how could you not want to represent your country in the Olympics? How can, that's For so many sports, that's the apex. But well, For a lot of people would say this is the problem of putting professionals into the hmm. Olympics in a sport because even Brooks Kepka said recently when he was in Saudi Arabia that the four major championships were important to him. Sure. The FedEx Cup, and his line was, after that, I see where everything else falls. Now, Olympic athletes do not see where the games will fall Michael on their schedule. That is their schedule. Exactly, exactly. They know exactly what they're going to be, and everything works towards that moment. But they wait every four years for a podium, whereas golf has four podiums per year. More if you throw in the players and the FedEx Cup as well. And that's ultimately the, the problem with, with golf in the Olympics when it comes down to the, the core issue of getting guys to commit is that at best the olympic gold medal ought to be the pinnacle of any sport and in golf it is at best fifth and i would actually argue that if you put guys under a truth serum it's going to come in sixth or seventh behind a fedex cup and a players hey ever hear about the ex-football star who robbed a brinks truck then tucked four hundred thousand dollars under his arm like a football and escaped using an inner tube no then you'll want to listen to season one of the sneak podcast by For the Win and USA Today Sports. Here, take a quick listen to the man who actually pulled that off. In 2008, a former D1 football star pulled off a robbery so daring and so strange that it went viral worldwide. It was a perfect crime story. There was just one problem. It wasn't the real story of what happened. The Sneak is a new serialized true crime podcast from For the Win and USA Today Sports. You can subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or get it anywhere you get podcasts on Tuesday, January 14th. What does Jay Monahan think of that? And then how many more players do you think may look at Dustin Johnson as being the guy who broke the ice and now it's okay for me to be the second, third, fourth person? Sort of like what we saw with 
players opting not to go to Rio because of fear of the Zika virus in that case, once one or two players say, I'm not going, it becomes so much easier to be the fourth, fifth person. Are we going to see more? Well, in a way, it's not Jay's issue. Jay did his part in reorganizing the tour schedule to accommodate golf in the Olympics, and the PGA of America did their part as well. They can't send guys at gunpoint to go play in Tokyo any more than they could four years ago in Rio. I think they would certainly like, if for optics, if nothing else, to have guys go there. I but, suppose, you know, yeah. Brooks has been very ambivalent in his comments in the last few weeks if he's going to play. DJ's obviously out. There will probably be more, particularly with the, the whole kind of coronavirus panic that's going around. It yeah. gives guys cover in the way that the Zika virus gave guys cover four years ago who didn't necessarily want to be there anyway. And the coronavirus will serve that purpose this year. So I would not be surprised if in the coming weeks we see more guys try to use coronavirus as the cover for not going. Sure. But it's still a risky PR gamble for them because ultimately the games are still, well, is it four or five months away? It's, 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 a, it's a long ways off. And there had been initially some talk about, well, they'll delay the Olympics, they'll move them. That's not going to happen. There's no way that the Olympics are either going to be delayed or moved. They'll either be on or they won't be. Um, I think it's it's just unrealistic to think of pretty much anything else. I'll be fascinated to see once again if we find, as we saw in Rio, many of the top women golfers will go, but the their male counterparts will not. I don't remember seeing very many at all uh, LPGA Tour players or female golfers not going to Rio. Do you think that we'll, this will again be a, a PGA Tour player issue much more than even a European Tour player issue or a, a women's golf issue? Probably, but that's also the difference between the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour. It's that they work a lot harder at selling their product yeah. on the LPGA Tour. They have to. It's almost the way guys like Arnie and, and Jack and, and Gary Player and Trevino did 50-plus years ago in selling the PGA Tour product. They, you know, they all have great relationships with media because they knew everyone because they had to sell yeah. their product at the time to make a living. And that's very much the case with the ladies on, on the LPGA Tour. So I wouldn't expect very many of them to not be present. I think it's a much bigger deal for women's golf and this idea of not just growing the game, but giving the great game greater exposure on the greatest stage in sports. And I think that means more in women's golf than it apparently does in men's golf. So there have been some LPGA Tour events that have been affected by the Canero virus. We, we, you sort of mentioned that before. We're recording this late on Tuesday afternoon, so by the time you listen to this, who knows what news may, may be happening. Um, the PGA Championship is going to be played in San Francisco in May. Right now, as I understand, it's the city of San Francisco has basically put out all kinds of warnings and has basically a state of emergency down um, that allows them to move different resources, both financial as well as uh, medical, into place to be able to handle whatever may or may hopefully may not happen. What do you think is going to end up being the, the effect over the course of this summer with golf being affected by the coronavirus? Obviously, there are different travel restrictions that are in place, but Professional players, just like professional athletes, they fly a lot. They go around a lot. They have a global schedule. You're bringing, in the case, for example, of the PGA Championship, 20, 30,000 people. I don't know exactly how many are going to be at Harding Park in San Francisco, but lots and lots of people from all over, certainly the United States as well as globally. How much do you think people are going to be aware of what's going on, and what do you think the, the governing bodies are thinking at this point? Well, this story's kind of changed so much even in the last couple of weeks that it's hard to project even the next couple of days yeah. as to what it means. But I, I just talked to Kepka on the putting green and we were talking about the fact that the NBA is now discouraging players from high-fiving fans because of these panic fears. And Brooks said the tour sent the same email 
to players, uh, just cautioning them in terms of physical contact with, mm-hmm. with people and just be aware of, of how this virus spreads. So it's, it's really hard to see what it is. There was a rumor flying around, as they always do, about what impact it could have on the PGA Championship at Harding Park and does it necessitate moving the championship. And I asked a, a friend of mine at the PGA of America about that earlier, and he said that any such rumor is categorically false. It's not moving from yeah. Harding Park. Right. You don't move a, a major championship at a couple of mo- months' notice. Absolutely. It's just logistically, it, it's not possible. No, there's, there's, there's so many things we've talked about on this podcast before that you see when you're watching on television, you don't understand how long it takes to put up the gallery ropes, to, to assemble and build up all those grandstands. You have to think about the logistics of hotel rooms, of, of cars. So many things go on that people who are not sort of involved with the tournament thankfully don't have to think about but it's the moving is, is an but it also does not bode well in terms of for any sport really but the idea of ticket sales and getting crowds because no matter how what good a sh- how good a show you put on or how good the experience is it's you're still if this is ongoing at the time when we get there in may it's it's going to be an issue persuading people to go into that these high safe. density crowds that it's safe and feel as though they're not at some kind of heightened risk of exposure. So we may see a major championship with crowds of a member guest, but it's as long as the major championship goes ahead, that's to me what's ultimately <laughs> I important. Think, I think there's some players who would probably enjoy that quite a bit if we, if we only had a few play, probably, people outside yeah. the ropes. Exactly. Um, those are obviously the biggest stories. What else are you going to be looking forward to as we start to get sort of driving towards the Masters? I'm very, I, I was disappointed, not shocked, that Tiger Woods is not here. Obviously, the back for him right now is is not in good shape. How much do you give any importance whatsoever to the fact that Tiger not only took off the Honda, which for him was a home game, but he also is skipping this week here at Bay Hill as he gets ready for his Defenders Masters Championship? Oh, God, we've we've read the tea leaves on every kind of um, week spent at home and every injury Tiger's had for so long now that... It's almost become a farce at this point because he always seems to find a way back mm. into to contention. I don't think it's particularly encouraging if he is not physically able to play a, a pretty flat golf course mm-hmm. that he's won on eight times and could play in his sleep. But it's also not conclusively evidence that there's anything to worry about. He's obviously expected next week at the, the Players' Championship. The players, yep. But I'm, I'm, I wouldn't expect to see him at, at Valspar the week after that in Tampa. I would, I'm guessing he goes to the, the match play. The match play. But other guys are really working it up. I mean, Kepka's played 18 rounds of golf in, in six months. He's playing the next five weeks. Rory's playing five out of the next six. Mm-hmm. So other guys are going to be much more competitively sharp when they get to Augusta than Tiger is. But that was also true last year. And the, all of those guys were in the mix on Sunday afternoon, and only one of them didn't blink when it mattered. Yeah. And there's, there's no real metric by which you can assess Tiger Woods' chances at Augusta National with any seriousness, because every time you think he's kind of done there, he somehow finds a way back into the mix. It's almost like he's pulling a Phil Mickelson. Every time you think that he's finally good and done, that's when, exa- that's, that's when the magic sort of comes back out, and all of a sudden you sort of see it. So you talk to Brooks Koepka, he's He's going to be playing. He's obviously here. It sounds like that, that, I'm not going to say we were given a head fake, he just didn't care to share or elaborate on it, that the knee was probably a little bit more of a serious issue initially than it was led on to be. Is that somewhat accurate, or what can you sort of tell us I don't think so. He says the knee has been fine and not bothered him at all playing golf since he got the okay to come back and play. Okay. Uh, I think it stopped him practicing as much as he wanted, 
but he said that's also probably his new reality from this point onward, that the knee may never be what it once was, um, in the same way that various parts of Tiger's body or any other guy out here who's gone through an injury, it's never going to be what it was when you continue to put the, the wear and tear of weekly play on it. But, you know, Kepka wouldn't be playing the next five weeks in a row if he didn't think that the knee could stand up to it. He's not jeopardizing anything on the road to Augusta. Um, so he feels as though it doesn't bother him playing. He just needs to get competitively sharp, mm-hmm. and he's physically able to do that and put that stress load on his body in a way that Tiger clearly isn't yet. Is five weeks in a row, does that seem like a lot to you? It's certainly a lot for, for Kepka. He hasn't uh, played that kind of an intense stretch of golf in a while. Um, and again, the same with, with Rory in some ways, with the, the five out of six that he's playing, including, I believe it's San Antonio the week before mm-hmm. the Masters, to try to be sharp heading into Augusta National. So, you know, these guys all kind of work their own... Everyone's got their own agenda. Everyone has their own baggage they're carrying, trying to come off of injuries, get sharp, working. They all know how long it takes them to try to work their way into some kind of sharpness. And they're all approaching it in very different ways, but looking for the same result. So one of the storylines certainly going into Augusta is Roy trying to to complete the career Grand Slam. Um, That's been the storyline now for a couple of years. He's been playing magnificent golf. Roy seems to really be finding a groove and finding a... Uh, whatever it is, the work with Brad Faxon on the greens, the ability to, to hit fairways. He's obviously one of the best drivers of the golf ball of his generation. He's a fantastic full swing player. Are, is, in your opinion, is this the best? And we were at the beginning of the Florida swing. I realized, is this the best chance, in your opinion, that he's had to win at Augusta? Or do you think that there were seasons heading into the Masters that he looked even better than he does right now compared to his peers? Oh, I mean, his, his best chance to win was when he had a four-shot lead heading to the and back nine, okay, nine okay, years ago. Okay, okay. But and uh, you know, I would have thought a couple of years ago he looked pretty sharp after he won at Bay Hill, and he went to Augusta and was right there heading into the final round with yep. Patrick Reed on Sunday and kind of didn't have it. And he admitted over time more recently that the nerves and uh, discomfort got to him in the situation. And I think it's there's a reason why he's playing five out of the next six weeks because he wants to be busy all the way up until April and, and the one week that he's not playing he's doing his uh, you know partners event where he takes his sponsors to uh, the Ohupi Match Club in South Carolina or Georgia I can't mm-hmm. remember where it is um, and he, he spends time as a thank you to the guys who put money in his pocket and, and support him and so he's staying very busy for the next six weeks he's not looking for a lot of time to, to ruminate on what it would mean he knows he's got the, every weapon necessary to win there it's just a matter of having things fall your way and it's it's probably wearying for him because he's he's now just turned 30 years old and you know Phil didn't win a major at all until he was 33 or 34 so Rory probably has you know if things fall the right way he could have another 10 chances at least maybe 15 at Augusta National so I think he's trying to last year he felt as though he downplayed it too much he was trying to take all the stress out of the week with a mental game guy he worked on at the time. Now he thinks that doesn't quite work for him, that you can't de-stress it entirely. You've got to figure out how to work with the stress and the pressure of it and treat the pressure as a privilege. And that seems to be what he's doing more. But ultimately, it doesn't really matter what you do in the four or five weeks running up to Augusta National. It matters when the the gun goes off on Thursday morning. So I talked with him briefly about his fitness and his training, his his non-golf stuff for a little bit today on the on the practice screen and he told me he has learned when 
2011-2012, he's winning major championships. He's attained number one in the world. He equated it with trying to outwork everybody. He looked at the Tiger model, basically, and has come to realize that that was not going to be long-term sustainable for him. He needed to actually work smarter, um, work less, more intensely sometimes, get a lot more rest, and that is what he sort of told me he attributes to his better overall fitness, his wellness, the fact that he is, isn't really injured at this point, um, and that he's playing better. He is feeling mentally, it seems, more refreshed throughout the course of his season. And that, to me, spells deep trouble for his, his opponents. He would seem over the last year to have found a rhythm. Maybe he's not winning quite as much as some people would expect him to, but his floor has elevated so much. We're a bad week for Rory now, it seems, is like T8 or T5. Well, he's, he's played 13 times since he missed the cut at the Open at Portrush last summer. 11 of them have been top 10 finishes, and 9 right. of them have been top 5. Yeah. So you can almost make the argument that if Rory plays you know, three good rounds and one mediocre round, or three and a half good and half a mediocre round, yep. that he finishes fifth. And that's, that's you know, a, a scary proposition for his opponents in some way, because it suggests that pretty much every week... He's going to be there He's or thereabouts on Sunday afternoon. And, the, you know, the, obviously he doesn't close it or hasn't as often as he's wanted. But, you know, every top five finish is not considered equal. Some of them you can backdoor. Some you just don't have it. Some mm-hmm. you just don't um, get lucky enough. Um, and there's been a healthy mix of that in, the last, in those nine top five finishes that he's had. But he's there or thereabouts all the time. And that's where you want to be heading into Sunday afternoon, particularly you know, 40-odd days from now in Georgia. The, the second Sunday in April, is that's exactly where you want to be. Where do you want to be as far as the next places you're going to be going and playing? You you lead the life that I wish. You, you play everywhere. You no, I used to play everywhere. Now I just bemoan the fact that I can't play anywhere. <laughs> so, so you bring clubs, and, and yet, so are, are you going to be playing while you're down here at all? I brought my clubs. I played nine holes at Country Club of Orlando, and it was just execrable. The only fair way I hit was an adjoining one. Nice. Um, and it was way offline. Uh, but I'll, I'll probably try to play on my way up to the players. No swing next tips week. from, from Shambly or Faxon? Oh, they've given plenty of tips, but it usually involves staying in the bar or quitting, <laughs> both of which are actually more appealing options these days. Taking up croquet rather, rather than something else. Well, Eamon, I want, to, I want to let you know that I appreciate you coming on, and thank you very much for being on the Forward Press. My pleasure. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.